It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. Now, we respect Mary. We honor Mary. I can't imagine being a teenage girl and having an angel show up and say, hey, you're about to give birth to the Messiah. She had to be a strong, wonderful lady. We respect Mary, okay? And one of the reasons I'm saying that as well is down south, you can kind of mouth off to a guy, but there's one thing you don't do. You don't... You don't say his, your mama, da da da. You don't mouth off and make fun of his mama. That's where he goes to town, okay? And I want to get Jesus mad at me. So, I, Jesus, I love your mama. Your mama's wonderful. She's great. But we don't venerate Mary. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. We've been going through the book of Revelation, and now I'm in a very difficult place to preach on. In fact, when I started to talk about or think about doing a, a book, a verse-by-verse study through Revelation, when I thought about this part, it made me nervous. It's complicated because there's a shift in chronology and some details and that type thing. And so uh, let me do quick caveats. Number one, I'm getting into the realm of conjecture here, okay? Uh, there are some things in Revelation I am convinced are true, there are other things where I have to kind of fill in the blanks the best I can. And so uh, today you'll see what I mean. Remember I told you when we started studying this, be careful of reading the book of Revelation and say this in Revelation is that, okay? I'm going to do a little bit of that today. I may be right and I may be wrong. Remember I also I said a couple weeks ago that there's going to arise a global leader that we call the Antichrist and he is going to be operating on planet Earth. I'm going to talk today about his interaction with a religion and how he's going to hijack that religion. And I'm going to say up front, I think the religion that the Antichrist may hijack during the tribulation is the Catholic religion. Now, I'm not bashing Catholics. He could have just as easily hijacked Pentecostalism. He could have hijacked the Baptists. I think he hijacks Catholicism. And uh, I know some good Catholics. I know born again. Mike Pence. You know, Vice President, I think he's a born-again Catholic. And so I do believe you can be born again and a Catholic. I think it's in spite of Catholicism, not because of Catholicism. But we'll talk a little bit more about that today as well. But let's do a quick overview, okay? Remember, we said that the book of Revelation primarily deals with seven years of horrible tribulation on planet Earth. Look at this chart. I think the next thing that's going to happen on the prophetic chart is the church is going to be raptured. We're going to be taken up in a blinking of an eye to heaven. We're going to be in heaven for seven years with Jesus. And during those seven years, there's going to be tribulation like you've never seen on planet Earth. And then after those seven years of tribulation, we'll talk about this next week, Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to set up a thousand year reign on planet Earth. Okay. Now, some of y'all disagree with some of this stuff. Okay, this hold loosely as well. Some of y'all think that we're actually going to be here during the tribulation. I don't. I think we're going to be right there. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so we've got to have some grace with each other. This is where I'm convinced the Bible is charting out we're going. Now, during those seven years of tribulation, God is going to judge planet Earth. And remember, God is a God of order. 
Even his judgment is not this random chaotic stuff. God is very systematic and sequential in the way he's going to judge. And he's going to do that in three sets of seven judgments. Look at this chart. There's going to be a set of seal judgments, like you break a seal on a letter. Seven seal judgments. We talked about that. Seven trumpet judgments, just systematically judging planet Earth. And then seven bowl judgments. By bowl, I mean it's almost like God has all of his wrath. It's in this big bucket, this big bowl. And he's just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to start pouring this stuff out on you guys. And these are the last seven judgments, the bowl judgments. So get your Bibles because we're going to go through three chapters today. Chapter 16, chapter 17, and chapter 18. And I want you to follow along with me. You know, the Bible talks about a group of Christians in the book of Acts. They're called the Bereans. Have you ever heard of the Bereans? Hey, it says in the book of Acts, they followed along in the Bible just to make sure Paul knew what he was talking about. Man, I want a church full of Bereans that follow me in the Bible just to make sure I'm not trying to pull one over on you that I really do know what I'm talking about, okay? Chapter 16, we're going to talk about the bold judgments. Chapter 17, John answers this question. Hey, during the seven years of tribulation when the Antichrist is wreaking havoc on planet Earth, will there be religion? And John says, yes, there's going to be religion on planet Earth. Let me tell you about the religion that's going to operate during the reign of the Antichrist. That's chapter 17. And then in chapter 18, okay, is there going to be a global economy during the tribulation? Yes. Okay, what's the economy going to be like? So chapter 16, the bold judgments. Chapter 17, what's religion going to be like during the tribulation? And then chapter 18, what's the economy going to be like during the tribulation? So let's look at chapter 16. God's going to pour out seven judgments on planet Earth in these final moments of the tribulation. The first bold judgment, verse 2, is painful, oozing sores just break out all over everybody. That's the first judgment. Second bold judgment, verse 3, the oceans turn to blood. Imagine all around the world, Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, they just turn into this oozing, coagulated blood. All the billions of sea creatures die. They come to the surface. They start decomposing. The whole thing stinks. It's a cauldron of filth. That's the, the uh, second bold judgment. The third bold judgment, verses 4 through 7, is now all the fresh water on planet Earth. It now turns to blood. And then the fourth bold judgment, verse 8, the sun scorches planet Earth. You know, I read about a phenomenon this week. It's called a helium flash. It's where in us, in a star, at the core of the star, the helium reaction just gets out of control and the star expands. You know, our sun is a star. And if there was ever a helium reaction, they say, in the core of our sun, and it just expanded by 0.3%, it would scorch planet Earth. Now, imagine you're on planet Earth, and now temperatures are 150, 200 degrees. It's scorching planet Earth, but remember, the the water has now gone bad. It's all turned to blood. Imagine the thirst that people are dealing with on planet Earth uh, there in uh, in verse 8. It's kind of interesting as well. The earliest form of paganism was sun worship. Now, in the final days, that sun kind of turns on pagan humanity and begins scorching planet Earth. Um, the fifth bowl, verse 10, is darkness and intense pain. Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 13, 24. And with this pain starts kind of ravaging planet Earth. How do they react? You see this in verse 10. It says they start gnawing their tongues. 
Sometimes when you're in incredible pain, you'll hurt yourself somewhere else to try to redirect that pain. And the human race is in such intense pain, this is very graphic, they start chewing on their own tongue because the pain is so intense. The sixth bowl, verse 12, the Euphrates River dries up. What's the importance of that? Well, the Euphrates River, according to Genesis, is where humanity began, and now it's where humanity ends. And then uh, before the sixth and seventh judgment, there's a pause, like John takes a time out, and between the sixth and seventh bold judgment, he talks about this coming battle that we'll talk about next week called Armageddon. And so he has a quick little uh, take on Armageddon, and then he goes right into the seventh bowl. Look at uh, chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. The final judgment is the worst earthquake in history hits planet earth and it says verse 18 there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth it's the worst earthquake in human history i read about one earthquake that killed 200,000 people this earthquake is worse than that so that's chapter 16 the bold judgments and then we go to chapter 17 and 18 now here's what ought to happen okay chronologically when we're through with chapter 16, it ought to go right into chapter 19. It talks about the final battle, Armageddon. Here's what John does. Now, be careful because you'll get messed up if you don't understand the chronology. John didn't forget. God inspired him to do this. this is, God had a reason for this. But it's almost like John says, hey, before I get to the final scene and talk about Armageddon, I forgot to mention about what the religion is going to be like during the tribulation and the economy is going to be like. So John's like, let's, before we talk about the final scene here, let me go back in time a couple of years and tell you what the, uh, the economy and religion is going to be like during the tribulation. All right, so are you waiting on that? All right, so I don't want to mess you up. So after chapter 16, chronologically, we should go right to chapter 19, but chapter 17 and 18, John says, time out. Let me fill in some more details. And let's talk about the city that will be the base of operations for the Antichrist during the tribulation. In other words, what city will the beast or the Antichrist, this coming world leader, what city will he operate from? And Revelation calls this city Babylon. It's a very important city. 44 of the 404 verses in Revelation deal with this home base city called Babylon. Now, here's a question. Will he operate literally from Babylon, Iraq? That's, that's where modern day uh, Babylon is. Will he be uh, operating from that city? Is it the literal city of Babylon? Or is this symbolic? We call it Babylon, but it's actually symbolic. It's another city. I, I lean toward the symbolic. Why is that? Well, look at verse five. John calls this in the book of Revelation, the mystery of Babylon. Mystery seems to indicate this is not literal, this is symbolic. That's the first reason why I don't think it's literally Babylon, Iraq. I think it's another city. Uh, the second reason, in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter calls Rome, Italy, Babylon. Peter says, yeah, y'all call it Rome. It's such a wicked place. I call it Babylon. And the third reason why I think this is symbolic is I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ could come back at any minute. If Jesus Christ could come back at any minute, they got a lot of work to do on little Babylon. I want you to see a picture of this. This is what Babylon looks like today. It's, it's in ruins. There's no city there. So if Jesus Christ is supposed to come back at any minute and the Antichrist steps in and starts operating for Babylon, there isn't a Babylon. 
And so I think that this is a, a symbolic uh, Babylon instead of a literal Babylon. What city do you think that is, Pastor Chad? Look at uh, chapter 17. Now watch this. This is where I'm kind of getting to the realm of conjecture. You're going to see the city, I think, that the Antichrist is going to operate from. Bible calls it Babylon. I think it's actually a, a different city. Now y'all remember a couple weeks ago, this so it always makes me real depressed when a pastor says, hey, what did I talk about a couple weeks ago? Nobody knows. So I'm going I'm to test y'all. I'll either go home really depressed or really happy today. Remember I told you the Antichrist is coming. He will be a global world leader. And what did I tell you from scripture and some other writings? What is his background, do I think? Where's, what is, where is it? Muslim, Islamic, right. I think the Antichrist is going to have a Muslim, Islamic background. Now, the religion you're about to see that he hijacks. It couldn't be any other religion if you take chapter 17 literally. It's gotta be Catholicism. So it looks like the Antichrist will arise and he will hijack Catholicism and he's going to blend Islam and Catholicism. And again, because I want to get my Catholic friends mad at me. I already got the liberals mad at me, the homosexuals mad at me, I don't need the Catholics mad at me as well. So... I do believe that, that he hijacks a religion and he could have hijacked any other religion. This just happens to be the one that he hijacks. So what is the identity of this religious system that the Antichrist is going to hijack? Well, we got some clues here. First clue, number one, it is a female-dominated religious system. Look at verse one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot the female prostitute who sits on many waters. Verse five, she's called the mother of harlots. Here's what Satan likes to do. Satan likes to take the truths of God and twist it and corrupt it. And so God calls the church the what of Christ, the bride of Christ. Satan twists it and this religious system is going to be the prostitute, not the bride, but the prostitute. And... Um, you know, it's very common in paganism to have female-based pagan systems. You saw that in Gnosticism. You, you saw that back in Babylon. You know, pictures of the goddess Ishtar is seen holding her son Tammuz. The uh, ancient Germanic tribes, you have the virgin Hertha holding her child. In India, you have the goddess Devaki holding the child Krishna. That's common. In Egypt, you have the goddess Isis holding her son Horus. You, you have these pictures of mother and child, and when Constantine came into power and decided to make uh, the Roman Empire a quote-unquote Christian empire, he borrowed this imagery from paganism of, of a woman and a child. Now, listen to me. This is one of the biggest areas where we have disagreements with Catholics. Uh, two areas, actually, there's a, there's a bigger area. There's a whole idea of soteriology, salvation. We believe... We're all sinners and messed up people. And God comes to us and says, I don't know how good you think you are. I don't care if you try to work. I don't care if you try to earn it. You can't earn it. I want to give you salvation as a gift. It is free. You receive my son, Jesus Christ. Here he is. You receive him. You're saved. That's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. The Catholic Council of Trent, was 1550 or whatever, they say that is an anathema. Cursed be the person who says that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's a big difference between us and the Catholics. 
Another one is this veneration of Mary. Now, we respect Mary. We honor Mary. I can't imagine being a teenage girl and having an angel show up and say, hey, you're about to give birth to the Messiah. She had to be a strong, wonderful lady. We respect Mary, okay? And one of the reasons I'm saying that as well is down south, you can kind of mouth off to a guy, but there's one thing you don't do. You don't, <laughs> you don't say, his, your mama, da 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 You don't mouth off and make fun of his mama. That's where he goes to town, okay? And I want to get Jesus mad at me. So, I, Jesus, I love your mama. Your mama's wonderful. She's great. But we don't venerate Mary. And that's actually Catholic doctrine. In fact, there's a Catholic doctrine called Matrix Redemptrix that says this. Mary and Jesus together are co-redeemers. It isn't just that Jesus redeems you. It's Jesus and Mary. They are co-redeemers. That's not biblical. That Pope John Paul II has embroidered in his robes, tatas tuas sum Maria, Virgin Mary, I am totally yours. What about Jesus? No, I'm yours. Pope John Paul also said, I am trusting that decisive moment of my death to the mother of Christ and to the church, to the mother of my hope. The, the, the church of the Annunciation, when Darl and I take people to Israel, we take them to the church of the Annunciation. And at, there's good archaeological evidence that this is the spot where the angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And it's a beautiful church, but there on the ceiling of that church is this beautiful painting, and there's God the Father, God the Son, the Spirit is represented, but above all of that is Mary above Jesus seated on a throne. And so whatever religion this is, in chapter 17 that the Antichrist operates from, here's the first clue, it's a female-dominated religious system. Secondly, the, the religion has global influence. Look at verses one and five. It says this woman, the personification of this religion, she sits on many waters, okay? Th that means this is not a, a local religion, this is a universal religion. Catholic means universal. Number three, here's another clue. She sits on the beast. It's kind of interesting. Chapter 17, verse three. This, uh, this, this religious system dominates the beast, the Antichrist. The Antichrist defers to her. The Antichrist says, oh, I'll do whatever this religion tells me to do. He defers to the woman. He defers to this religious system until she has served his purposes. And then in verse 16, it says he will turn and he will devour the woman. He'll basically say, no longer do you need to worship God or where." You now worship me. Uh, number four, fourth clue to the identity of this religious system are the colors purple and scarlet. Look at verse four. It says the woman, that this religious system that the Antichrist is going to hijack, is arrayed in purple and scarlet. The designated official colors of the cassocks, the robes of, uh, of, uh, of bishops and scarlets are purple and scarlet, kind of interesting as well, isn't it? And then there's a golden cup. You see that in verse four, a golden cup filled with abominations. The, the high mark of the Catholic mass is lifting up the cup. And could this be referencing to a corruption of that concept of the cup? We don't know. And then number six, sixth clue about this religion is it originates from, it says, the city built on seven hills. Verse nine. There's only, we got a map of this, there's only one 
ancient city that was the city built on seven hills, what city is that? That's Rome. Even today, Rome is called the city built on seven hills. And so the Bible is being really clear. So why I'm not being anti-Catholic, I'm just telling you. The Bible says that the religious system that the Antichrist dominates is the religious system housed out of the city built on seven hills. It can only be Rome. What, what, uh, what religion is based out of that city? Catholicism. And finally, it says it originates from the city that rules the earth, verse 18. There's only one city that in John's day was ruling the earth, and that was Rome. So here's the thing. If the Antichrist is Islamic, what he's going to do is try to combine Islam and Catholicism. Beloved, we are already seeing that Babylonian spirit take place right now. If you're a Catholic, I'm sure Pope Francis is a lovely man. I'm sure I'd love to sit down and talk with him. I'm sure he'd be a great guy. But I'm going to tell you, you guy creeps me out a little bit because he's doing some things that I think are setting up this global phenomenon that we're seeing here. I saw a, a video of him last week where he's talking to a young boy and the young boy says, Pope Francis, I don't know if y'all have seen this, my dad was an atheist. He did not believe in God. And he died and I'm so upset Pope Francis says, relax, your dad is in heaven now. Wait a second, now atheists, who's not going, atheists are going to heaven now? You're seeing this, this uh, ecumenical, bring all religions together under one umbrella. You're seeing that take place in the Catholic Church. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to bash you guys, but listen to me. Pope John Paul II was incredibly universal. His famous book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, is an aggressive ecumenical manifesto. He said this, quote, Muslims worship the one true God. Hinduism is another means of taking refuge in the one true God. Buddhists have God's help in reaching true enlightenment. And right now, Pope Francis and Grand Imam Ahmed El Taib have been working on a joint project called, quote, the Abrahamic Family House. I don't know if you've heard about this. It'll be open in Abu Dhabi next year, and it is a religious worship center designed to bring together Catholics and Muslims to worship together under one roof. You're seeing Revelation chapter 17 play out just right before your very eyes. Unless you think I'm bashing the Catholics, we're seeing this in the American church as well. I can tell you, I'm not going to tell you his name, I could. There's a prominent megachurch pastor now who's spending a lot of time trying to bring Christians and Muslims together. And let's talk about our commonality and how common we are. That's that Babylonian spirit of Revelation chapter 17. I remember watching Robert Schuller interview the Grand Mufti of Syria saying, it is my hope that one day your son and my son can work together to bring Christianity and Islam together. That's Revelation chapter 17 being played out. Now, that's Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 18, very quickly, remember, that's the economic Babylon. What's the economy going to be like? Now look, you think with uh, oceans turning into blood and meteor smashing planet Earth, you'd think the economy would be just tanking. The Antichrist is a brilliant uh, economic, has a brilliant economic mind. And the economy actually does really, really well during the tribulation. And in fact, if you look at chapter 18, verse 12, there's lots of commerce under the Antichrist. Verse 17, great wealth comes into his capital city. And so Babylon is not only a religious center, it is an economic center. Now, what happens to Babylon? 
this is fascinating. In verses eight through nine, that capital city of Babylon will be suddenly destroyed. And in fact, verse eight says, Babylon is gonna be destroyed in one day. And then verse nine says, actually, it's gonna be destroyed in one hour. How could a huge metropolis be destroyed in one hour? Well, there's some hints here. In uh, chapter 18, verse eight, it says, this capital city will be scorched, burned with intense heat with a fire. Uh, Verse nine says that people are gonna stand back and they're gonna see a large cloud and that cloud is gonna amaze them. Scorched with fire, a large cloud, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like a nuclear explosion to me. And in fact, to further bolster that, in verse 10, it says, kings and people stand at a distance for fear of her torment. I don't want to be infected with whatever it is that is tormenting her. That sounds like nuclear radioactive fallout to me. And so in one day, one hour, I think by a nuclear blast, the whole city is absolutely destroyed. All right, now, Pastor, how are you going to make us feel good, and how are you going to make this apply to us? I stand before you now asking myself the same question. Where am I going to go with this thing? So, Here's what I want you to understand. That Babylonian spirit that says, let's bring all religions together under one umbrella, and we're all basically the same. You call him Allah, he calls her uh, Buddha, you call him Jesus, it's all the same God. That Babylonian spirit It is already at work right now. And some of y'all getting sucked into that mess. Because here's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other. joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who 
also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more our community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. (laughs) 